We're thankful for a good bunch of deacons, aren't we? And we're thankful for these too. So, <laughs> seriously, we are. We're very thankful for their service and for their faithfulness. You will turn in your Bibles to the second chapter of the gospel as recorded by Mark. Mark chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. I've entitled my message, How Jesus Does Church. And as you look at the life and ministry of Jesus, and we look at this particular time in the house with Jesus, you'll find that he did church just like he did life. Always willing to be interrupted, always willing to share the truth, always ready to minister. He was no different when he was in the house teaching than he was out in the public sharing and doing miracles. That's how Jesus does church. The question is, is that the way we do church? You coming to church today is a reflection of the life that you've lived the other six days. Is it a continuation of what you've done day in and day out in your walk with the Lord? In your worship of him and your fellowship with him and in your ministry to others as you live? Is your everyday life the same as your Sunday life? With Jesus as our example, we find that his way of doing church was his way of doing life. And his way of doing life was his way of doing church. No facade in the life and ministry of Jesus. No having to change dispositions. No having to put on a different face, a different countenance. The same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Jesus did life just like he did church. Mark chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. And again he entered Capernaum after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house. Immediately many gathered together so that there was no room to receive them, not even near the door. And he preached the word to them. And when they came to him, bringing one a paralytic who was carried by four men, and when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed in which the paralytic was lying when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. And some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why does this man thus speak blasphemies? Why does he do this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But immediately, when Jesus perceived when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned in their hearts, 
he said to them, Why do you reason about these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Take your bed and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. Immediately arose, took up his bed, and went out in the presence of them all, so that all were amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Interesting, in the life and ministry of Jesus, that was all, all awesome and often the response of the crowd, those folks who heard him speak and saw his miracles. They were astounded. They were astonished. They were overwhelmed by the power of Jesus, the love of Jesus, the willingness of Jesus, and the ministry of Jesus in the lives of so many who were hurting. Jesus was no different in the house than he was out on the street. There were folks who brought, were brought to him while he was on the street, and he touched them, and he healed them. There were those who came and summoned him to come to their house because there was one ailing and dying and they believed that he had the power to change things. And Jesus responded to the request from the street to the dwelling place. Always willing to go. Always willing to do. Always willing to minister. Listen, always willing to give of himself. Never once do I remember him ever saying, I don't have the time for that. I don't have time to come to your house. I don't have time to talk to you right now. I don't have time to minister to your need. But always willing, always willing to be interrupted. Though he had plans, he knew why he came, he knew that he was headed to the cross, he knew that he was doing the will of the Father and all that he did. It was the circumstances which surrounded him. It was the, they were the circumstances in the lives of the people that were around him that dictated how he would respond and what he would do and when he would do it in meeting their needs. We get so focused on our own lives. We get so focused on what we want to do and what we need and, and the problems that we have and the difficulties we're walking through and the relationship problems we may be dealing with or other things in our lives. We get so focused on those things. We don't see anybody but me. So many times we allow those who are hurting in need and that Jesus has placed in our path that we may minister to them, stop what we think we're so busy doing that's important and do the most important thing, and that's to reach out to that hurting individual. It is to stop and listen to the cry of their heart 
It is to pause for a minute and, and realize that what we've scheduled is not the most important thing in eternity. What we have to do on our calendar and agenda for that day may not be what God has in store for us and be willing to be interrupted by someone who seems so insignificant, someone who is so needy, someone who is hurting someone who has difficulties in their life that they cannot do anything about and to stop our busy schedule long enough to minister, long enough to be sweet and kind and considerate, long enough to offer hope, help, and encouragement. How does Jesus do church? You'll notice that there are several ways you could approach this passage today that to Jesus there seemed to be a sense of urgency there. To those four who brought the one to Jesus that were, uh, they were carrying him and climbed up on the roof, there obviously was a sense of urgency to them that Jesus could change the situation in this man's life. He could turn everything that was upside down to right side up. He could change all of the discrepancies in his physical body. They had an urgency that they needed to get him to Jesus. And Jesus responded to their urgency in an urgent manner. He stopped what he was doing. Stopped right where he was speaking Another thing we see that's obviously present in this house of worship was an air of expectancy. <laughs> Jesus certainly was expecting what was coming up. He knows everything. He knows the agenda for the day. He know what, knows what the Father has him here to do. And, and though it may have caught everybody else by surprise, I would, I would not think for a moment that four men tearing a hole in the roof of the house where he was caught Jesus by surprise because according to the Word, he just kept teaching while they're tearing a hole in the roof. He knew what was next. He knew exactly what was going to happen. But he just went right on waiting for the proper moment for him to do the proper thing and to meet a need in a young man's life that no one else could meet. Did you know there's someone in your life that has a need that you're the only one that can meet it? I believe that. I believe God has a purpose in your life to minister to someone else that he places in your life on a, maybe on a daily basis. Maybe they, maybe they come by one, one time in a lifetime. But he has someone in your life each day that he wants you to minister to. But we're busy. Too busy to be interrupted. So things are more important than meeting that spiritual need but not to Jesus. There was an air of expectancy at that place. And boy, was there an attitude of enthusiasm. You got to be enthused about what you're doing to tear the, a hole in somebody else's roof. Go try it. You better be enthused because you're going to be singing hymns in the jail cell that night. You know, there, there, was, there was just this this. This attitude, attitude of enthusiasm 
We just got to get him to Jesus. We just got to get him there. We, gotta, we can't get in that door. We're going up on the roof. We're going to tear a hole in the roof. We're going to lower this man by these ropes on this blanket he's on, and we're going to put him right where. Can you see him outside there jumping up, looking in the window? Yeah, I think you're right over where Jesus is. They're jumping up, seeing him inside the house and, and looking through the window. Yeah, I think you're right on the spot. And they start tearing open the roof, and they lower this man to the feet of Jesus. But what brought on this sense of urgency, this air of expectancy, this attitude of enthusiasm? There was a concern. A concern for a man that only Jesus could meet his need. And their concern moved them to this sense of urgency. We can't do anything. We can't heal you, man. We can't cause your legs to work again. But we know someone who can. And if we can get, get you to Jesus, we believe he can change your whole life. They were concerned. But, you know, it goes beyond that. They were committed. They were committed. Living for the other person. Seeing the need in the other person's life and committed before they ever saw the need, they were going to do something about it. And they grabbed up each of them a corner of his blanket, and here they go carrying him down the street. This guy must have said, I don't know where we're going, but this is the funniest ride I've ever had. And they carried him in this blanket and they get him to the house and raise him up on the roof. And you see such a courageous, courageous response. They were met at the door. Oh, it's too full. The fire marshal says we can't have anybody else in here. You'll have to come back another day. <laughs> they were more courageous than to turn around and walk away with that answer. And because they were concerned, committed, courageous, they saw one converted. They saw one come to faith in Jesus today I want you to notice how Jesus does church and I'm of the opinion and I believe the understanding that when Jesus jumps, does something you can't improve on his way of doing it when he shows us how to do church how do we improve on that we just need to do church the way he does we need to live our lives the way he lived his life. Isn't that what the scripture teaches? That he is our example. We follow him. We walk with him. We fellowship with him. We obey him. We listen to his word. We listen to his Holy Spirit as he teaches us and leads us in our lives. We just follow the Lord. We walk in obedience. In the life and ministry of Jesus, you see that he uses every opportunity, every opportunity to reach the lost, to change their lives. Though his message never changes, his methods seem to be different in every circumstance. Careful. His message was always the same. He's the son of God. He came to seek and to save the lost. He lived a life of following the will of the Father. He searched and, and, and saw those that were in need and responded to them. But the, he, his methods, bring that little child to me. 
let me touch your daughter. Stop with the funeral procession and call the man's name and the dead man sat up on the platform they were carrying him on and went home with his mama. His methods were different according to the circumstances, according to the situation he encountered. You know, our lives and following Jesus and trying to do church the way he does church and live life the way he lived life and follow his example and do his will. We need to be willing as a church, as individuals, to change our methods in order that we can minister to where people really are. To see their needs, to respond to their needs, to love them in their needs, and to give them what they need the most, and that is Jesus. Some of his disciples just overwhelmed by what he did. You remember, and after Jesus has, has gone, they're, they're going to the temple, and they find this man begging, and they walk by him, and they said, oh, no, silver and gold, we don't have any. I don't have any money to give you. But such as I have, I give you, John said, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise, take up your bed, and walk. And it says the guy jumped up on his feet, started running around, hollering and screaming and jumping and praising God. And everybody saw him and heard him for the need that had been met. Because these followers of Jesus, these disciples, listened to him, watched him, experienced him, and they lived life like he lived it looking for the need, concerned for others, committed to help them, and courageous in every situation. The Word of God always remains central in the ministry of Jesus. Though Jesus is omniscient, he's stays true to his teaching of the word. He could have talked about any subject, for he knows everything. He knew there were atoms. We, mankind didn't discover it for thousands of years, but he knew there were atoms. He knew that. He knew there were molecules. He knew there were uh, different things that put together and, 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 and formed the different Minerals and other things. Man just didn't know it yet. Matter of fact, he knows everything there is even today. And he knows what man will discover in the next months and years to come. Ever how long he tarries his coming. He knows the things. He already knows every bit of that. Yet in all of his knowledge, in all of his wisdom, in all of his know-how, and all of his abilities Jesus was willing to have his life interrupted and to meet the need of the person because the word of God was the center of all he did he could have talked about any subject as I said but it, he knew it was imperative that he remained focused on absolute truth, the Word of God. 
He's not deterred by the activities going on around him. Isn't that interesting? He's, the Bible says he's teaching in the house, and they started tearing a hole in the roof above him, and he just keeps teaching. He is not, he is not deterred by the activities of life. And when he was busy in the marketplace and when he was healing folks and, and speaking the truth to them, he did not waver from what he was doing because of the crowd and because of the bitterness and the hatred and the, the, the way they despised him. And even when all that trouble was brewing and he knew that his arrest was imminent, he knew that they were going to demand his life. He knew that he was going to the cross. His very purpose for coming was to become sin for us that we might have the forgiveness of God in Christ. He stayed true. Even through all of those difficult times. In all of our desires to be a church, as we would say on the cutting edge, in order to reach our contemporaries, we must never abandon the truth of the Word of God. It must remain central to what we teach in class what we preach in the pulpit, and what we flesh out in our lives day in and day out. We must teach it. We must preach it as the absolute truth that it is. Folks don't come to church looking for some psychological theory. They're looking for real answers. They're looking for something only God can give them, and we need to make sure that we're about that kind of church, doing church as Jesus would have us do it. Secondly, Jesus is innovative in his methods. He stopped what he was saying. Over and over again, he stopped what he was saying or doing to meet a real need and to reach the lost who were present. It wasn't in the bulletin, perhaps, or on the order of service for the day. He just responded as God would have him to, the Father would have him to. You know, we can be so predictable. We can be so predictable in our services. If you've been in service a long time, been coming for a long time, you can just about stay at home and, and look at your clock and know about what's going on in the church house, can't you? You know, we, we have an order of service. We Nothing wrong with that. We, we're supposed to be organized. I, I don't belittle that. But we have things all mapped out. And it would scare us to death if God were to interrupt our service. Jesus was innovative. But he never ventured from truth. He was innovative in his responses in his methods, but he never wavered from the truth of who he was and why he came and what the real need in every person's life really was. Sometimes we'll try to do the unusual. We go to great lengths to accomplish our goal, and I'm thankful that I have pastored a church these years that has been willing to do that because we've done some pretty crazy things sometimes. I mean, what 
pastor becomes Indiana Brother Rick. You got to be a little touched. Or what was our buzz light year? I don't remember what it was that year, but you know, we've done some innovative things. I guess the craziest thing was when we made a carnival ride uh, a roller coaster ride out of a don't tell brother Doyle he's not over there out of an electric wheelchair we built a box around it and they covered it with cardboard and painted it and it looked just like a car on the on the uh, the ride And I was so dumb, I didn't load it on a trailer in the back of the truck or anything. I just rode it from over here on Sagamore all the way to the church. And here I was in that wheelchair that's flicked up, fixed up, like it's a roller coaster car and riding. And I, I rode all the way up here. And I mean, they did, folks just laughing at me and waving and children laughing and pointing, you know. And, and my silly daughter comes by with a camera and exposed the whole thing. So many crazy things. Jesus was innovative. His method always, uh, constantly was changing. Sometimes it was to touch a blind man and make him see. Another time it was to raise a man's daughter, Jairus' daughter. There was another time when he raised a, de a widow woman's only son, as I mentioned a minute ago. He turned the water into wine for his mother. He was innovative in his ministry and his response to the needs as they were. And we need to learn to do that as a church. And, and, and I need to move on. But just remember that as we try to do the unusual, we're going to great lengths to try to reach folks with the truth of the gospel. I'm so glad to have a young staff. Matter of fact, some are real young. Aren't you, Brother Joseph? Some are almost getting old, aren't you, Brother Tommy? And some are just right, aren't you, Kimmy and Stephanie? Just right. Perfect age, whatever it is, it's perfect. I'm thankful to have a young staff. They, they come up with all this stuff. Sometimes I sit in staff meeting and go, really y'all want to do what but you know me i'm game most of the time let me say the last thing and I'll, I'll move on and be through the salvation of sinners was always the primary focus in the life and ministry of jesus that was primary his primary concern was not for the sick man. It was that he would be forgiven. Those concern for those who had not yet believed drove him and moved him from place to place down dusty road after dusty road to minister and take the truth of who he was. We must move from what we want for ourselves 
to what will reach an unchurched man or woman or teenager or little boy or little girl? What will reach them? What will make them feel loved and welcome? What will make them know that Dalrada Baptist Church is a loving place, a caring place, one who offers the truth and, and offers help and ministry regardless of their age, regardless of their race, regardless of their social, socioeconomic standing? What will make them respond? L-O-V-E, love. Care, a desire to minister and meet needs, and to love them in the name of Jesus. We must move from what we want for just ourselves to what will reach the unchurched, especially in this neighborhood. What will reach the unchurched man, the unchurched woman, teenager, or child? with the gospel how do we do that how do how do we say to them this is a place where you will feel at home a place where you will be welcomed i'll tell you how you do it you live jesus every day in your life you preach jesus and teach jesus every sunday that we're together we just become the kind of church where we're the church whether we're in session or out of session we're living like jesus ministering to a community the great commission must be our driving point we must plan and be wise to include all the essentials of the church. The five, there are five of them. Evangelism, discipleship, ministry, fellowship, and worship. And they're not in any order of priority. The five essential functions of the church. And if we'll do that, we'll be the church like Jesus will be the church that looks like Jesus in the community will be the church that will allow Jesus to work through us to change lives I want to be that kind of church don't you I want to finish strong with us being that kind of a church I want us to work hard at becoming the kind of church that we know in our hearts we want to be and to remember that our ministry isn't done just to the church but it's the church doing ministry to the community reaching out with the love of Christ being committed because we're concerned and that we take, take the gospel to them in love would you bow your heads? Lord Jesus, you've taught us by your earthly life, through your word, what we ought to be and how we ought to go about ministry may we seek to be that kind of a church but Lord it only happens when we become that kind of individuals 
Help each of one of us to do an inward look right now. Focus in ourselves and ask ourselves, are we that kind of a Christian? Are we committed because we're concerned? Are we compassionate to share the gospel? Lord, help us to be that. And may you be glorified in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.